great to see all of you guys here this morning. Uh, Sophie said, if I've not met you before, my name's Ian. I lead this site with Soph. And uh, it's great, isn't it, to be back together this week. Uh, as the Obviously, last week, as many of you will know, we didn't have a service here. And so while some of you will have had a lion or gone out for breakfast or cooked yourselves up something nice, I was being worked hard by the church. They pulled me back to Central, which was an absolute privilege and a joy to be back. And I was preaching there. So this preach I delivered morning and evening in the Central site. And it was such a joy to be back. We had that pleasure of being there. And we were just, Soph and I were just really encouraged to be back at the Central site. Some of you will have been part of the site before we became a multi-site church. Um, and we were just so encouraged to go back where, obviously, when we launched this site, a large or a proportion of that community came with us, as you hear, and so there was a space there. And it's been wonderful just to see how that community has grown again in that site and just to see the numbers increase and people exploring faith. And it was so positive just to be back. But not just that they've grown, but that being able to share with them what's happening here, the excitement and the interest and just the encouragement of people being for what is happening in the north of the city. It was such a reminder that we are one church, that we are one family, and that we are in this together. We, we might be spread across this city, but we are on the same mission that God's called us into. And it was such an encouragement. And I'd just love to pray to kick off. Love to pray for our multiple sites, but also just for this morning. So if you'd like to join me, I'm just, yeah. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this church at the moment. Thank you that um, as you've called us into spreading out across the city, it looks a bit different from what we're used to. But I thank you that as we step out in obedience, you move powerfully. And I thank you that um, in our site, in the center, center of the city, that it is thriving and it is growing and that people are coming to meet Jesus. And I thank you that it's true here as well, Lord, that as we step out, your kingdom comes. So we just pray for more, Lord. We pray for more obedience within our communities, and we just pray for more of your presence. So just come. And I just pray that this morning, Lord, as I speak, would it not be my words that speak to you guys, that speak to this community? Would it be your words and your spirit, Lord? Would you come and move us? And I pray that where we need it, would your spirit bring conviction to our hearts? I just felt that this morning, that he wants to come and speak to us, and convict us of where he just wants to lead us out. So I pray that you would do that lovingly and gently, Lord. And I pray that we would be a community that responds. So come and have your way, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are currently in the middle of um, a sermon series looking at one of our values as a church, being kingdom carriers. And so far in this series, we've talked about having kingdom authority and having intimacy with God. And we've also looked at uh, the idea that everybody gets to play, that this isn't just for a few people in the church. This is for every single one of us. Um, and we've also looked at, James came and shared a few weeks ago about what happens when the Spirit of God um, breaks out in power in our community and across this city. What happens then? And we've heard some wonderful stories and incredible examples of what carrying the kingdom looks like in this community. Mike was sharing on Palm Sunday, and obviously spoke, so spoke at Easter, but we've heard stories in and amongst all of that. 
just what God is doing with certain individuals in this community. And it's great to see the flavor that it doesn't always look the same. In every single person's life, it can look different. The way God wants to use us to see the kingdom come. But for the next two talks in this series, today and next week, I'd say that we're going to have a bit of a gear change. And I think that though we've looked at some incredible things over the last few weeks on what it is to be a kingdom carrier, the next couple of weeks are just going to be a bit more practical. What does it look like to do the stuff, to be kingdom carriers who do the things of the kingdom? The practical aspects of that as a disciple of Jesus in our everyday lives, what does that look like? So as ki- and as kingdom carriers, my feeling is that we're supposed to live differently, aren't we? We're supposed to live differently from those who aren't carrying the kingdom. Being kingdom carriers is ultimately about being people who do the stuff that Jesus uh, did himself and the stuff that he taught us to do. That's what it means to be a kingdom carrier. So we're going to take a look at what it looks like to be people who do the stuff. And if you've been part of this church for any length of time or part of any vineyard church, then there's a good chance you'll have heard this phrase, doing the stuff. And there's a guy called John Wimber, who you might have heard us talk about before. He was instrumental in starting the vineyard movement. And he used to use this phrase quite a lot. And you see, when John came to faith, he was reading through the Gospels and reading the stories, and he just started to get really excited by what he was reading, the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And he really liked the Jesus that turned water into wine. I like that Jesus too. Any of you? I like that Jesus. Uh, And the Jesus that did miraculous miracles, multiplying bread and fish to feed thousands of people. The Jesus who walked on water, he liked that Jesus. The Jesus who healed the sick and cast out demons, he was like, that's the kind of Jesus I can follow. And he was excited because as he read about Jesus and the disciples in the Gospels and all the cool stuff that they were doing, he thought, great, we get to go and do this too. And he was just really excited that he could get out and go and do all that stuff. But after being in church for a while, he started to become a bit disappointed because they hadn't done any of it. So one day after the service, this is probably every pastor's dream, he comes up, af- he comes up after and he goes to the pastor and he says, can I talk to you? And he just said to the pastor, so when do we get to go and do it? And the guy said, what? And John said, when do we get to go out and do the stuff? You know, the stuff that Jesus did in the Bible, healing the sick and casting out demons, that stuff. When do we get to go and do it? And the pastor said to him, oh, you don't have to go out and do that stuff. You just have to believe that it was done once before. And that wasn't the answer that John was looking for. That's not what he wanted to hear. And so over the next few months, uh, John Wimber discovered that his church read about it and they sang about it. They preached about it and they prayed about it. They even gave money to it. But they never actually did it. They never did the things that Jesus did himself and taught his disciples to do. And at that time, people had no difficulty believing that Jesus did those things. They could accept that. But what they didn't realize and what John Wimber became deeply convicted of was that Jesus did those things and he expects us to do them too. And... I just want to lay this out to you guys. In Mark 1.14, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, saying, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And everything that he said or did from that point forward was confirmation of that statement. 
the, that the kingdom of God was near. Everything that Jesus taught about was the kingdom, and everything that Jesus did was the kingdom. So throughout his life, all the things that we read about in the Gospels, Jesus wasn't just showing us how wonderful he was, and he was wonderful. Jesus was amazing. He was a remarkable man. But he wasn't just showing us how great he was. He was modeling to us the sorts of people he wanted us to be and the way that we were to do the stuff of the kingdom. And so we need to be both, so we, ne- we need both the doing and the telling if we're really going to be effective in carrying the kingdom the way that Jesus calls us to. As Wimber um, would put it, we need the word and the works of the kingdom. The word and the works. And he said this, the vineyard is God's idea. He called us as kingdom people doing the stuff of proclamation and demonstration to only do half of what we've been called to uh, is not a complete gospel message. And we must do all of what God has placed upon us. You see, doing the stuff is about proclamation and demonstration. Proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Telling people and showing them that the kingdom of God has come and it's continuing to come. You know, we've talked about this in this series, the idea of the now and the not yet. That the kingdom of God is here, but it continues to break in day after day. It's about sharing the message of the kingdom and showing its power to bring transformation in our community. And as kingdom carriers, I believe that we're called to do both. And we see this in Matthew 10. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples with authority and instruction. In verse 7, he tells them, as you go, preach the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in verse 8, he instructs them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Here we see Jesus clearly instructing the disciples to do both. And there are other examples of this in the New Testament. In Matthew 4, uh, 23, it says, Jesus went through Gal- throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus did that himself. In Acts 3, Peter heals the crippled beggar on the street and then shares the gospel with the crowd of onlookers that were watching nearby, with the guy that had been healed right alongside him. In Acts 8, we're told that Peter proclaimed the good news about Jesus in the city of Samaria and demonstrated the power the power of the kingdom with miraculous signs. We see it, the word and the works together. And in Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas boldly sharing the gospel. And we're told that the Lord confirmed their message by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. I don't believe that it's enough for us to read these verses and believe that Jesus intended it for himself and for the disciples and for the early church, but not for us as well. And like Wimber said, Uh, in that quote that I read out, to only do half of what we've been called into is not a complete gospel message. We must do all of what God has placed upon us. I believe that. This is part of our DNA as a vineyard church. This is who we are called to be, people who do the stuff in our day-to-day lives, people who do the things that Jesus did and commanded us to do, people who carry the kingdom with our words and our works. That's what we're called to do. Now, In order to hopefully try and do justice to this this idea that it's about proclaiming and demonstrating, uh, this morning I want to focus on the proclamation of the kingdom, telling people about Jesus and and the kingdom of God. And next week we're going to look in more depth at the demonstration of the kingdom. 
So it's essentially a two-parter. I don't want you to take this talk on its own and go, well, he talked about proclamation and demonstration, and then he, and then he only did one of them. This is a two-parter. I'll leave us on a nice cliffhanger at the end. I don't know. Uh, but what I hope will be clear is that we believe that biblically, following the example of Jesus, the apostles, and the early church, these two things go hand in hand. And as we carry the kingdom and share the good news with those around us and in this city, we need to do both. So let's just take a look at pr the proclamation. Let's look at that this morning. Proclamation is about what we say, the words that come out of our mouth. So here's a question for you. On any given day or week, what would you say you talk about most? What is the thing you talk about most with the people around you? Is it sport, politics, the news, your family, your work, your faith? Maybe it's your favorite TV show. What do you talk about most with people? If I'm honest, for me, it's either football or food. I could probably talk about those two things for a very long time. I can talk about those things for a very long time. Soph knows it. Uh, and now, I'm a talker. Some of you guys that know me will know that I can talk. Man, can I talk. I can talk and talk and talk. I have no problem filling an awkward silence. I will find a way to talk into that situation. And when I was growing up, my parents actually called my talkativeness, uh, they used the phrase verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Often I would hear that my mum or my dad just saying, Ian, all you do is just speak verbal diarrhea. Just keeps coming out, you know, verbal diarrhea, this constant flow of unnecessary conversation, just spraying out in all directions with no, no purpose. It's a, it's a beautiful image, isn't it? I used to hear that a lot. Just talking rubbish for the sake of speaking. That's me. <laughs> That's me. So laughing because she knows it's true. We've been married four and a half years. She knows that's true. <laughs> just talking to fill the space. Well, as someone who uses a lot of words to say what I'm trying to say, I can sometimes take for granted the fact that words are powerful, that we can be intentional about what we say. And Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power for life and death, the power of life and death, Proverbs 18.21. And from this, we can deduce that our words have power power to influence, power to bring change, uh, power to, even power to bring life or death. Now, often, my mouth speaks quicker than my brain works. <laughs> Anyone else have this problem? Yeah? Yeah, there's a few people around the room nodding. Before I realize what I'm saying, it's already coming out of my mouth. That's why it's pretty dangerous to put me up here with a microphone speaking to you guys. Can go wrong. But actually, I think it's really important for us to learn to be intentional with the words that we say. I found that when I came to faith, you know, as a teenager, every other word that I would say would have been a swear word. And, you know, that I'd have just dropped swear words like it was part of my common vocabulary. And as soon as I came to faith, that was one of the first things that God convicted me of, the things that I was saying. I just, it was just this feeling of like, this is not honoring to the people around me. This is not honoring to God. This is not a reflection of who I'm supposed to be because this language is offensive to those around me. It was a conviction that... Uh, the words I was saying mattered. And the Spirit of God just challenged me on that. You see, our words matter. Our words matter. We are kingdom carriers, and we have a kingdom message. A message of hope and good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the King has come, and he died for us. And in his death, 
he conquered death once and for all. He paid the price for our sins, and in doing so, every day he is restoring lives back to him. He is restoring all creation back to the way that God intended it to be. That is the kingdom message. That is the king that we have. We sang and gave him praise this morning. And we have a message to share with the people that we're surrounded by, and they need to hear that message. But I think the reality is that this can be really difficult for us to do in, to do in our everyday lives, can't it? I find this hard to do. Days will go by, and I'm like, I knew there was an opportunity there, and I didn't take it. I know I haven't shared this with anyone. So this morning, I just want to try and make this as simple as possible for us. I just want to put it out there and just try and make this easy f- easier for us to do. And there's a verse that I'd like us to take a closer look at. It's 1 Peter 3.15, and it should appear on the screen behind me. And in it, Peter says this, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And can I just ask, can that, can that verse stay up on the screen just for a while? It's just helpful sometimes just to be able to see it, isn't it? And read it and just marinate in that, in that verse. See, I told you I like to talk about food. <laughs> now, this verse is found in a letter that Peter wrote to, uh, to the early Christians in, in the early centuries. And, he, and they were suffering persecution for their faith. They were being put on trial for being followers of Jesus. And Peter's advice to them was to be prepared to share the hope that they had when they were questioned. Now, our context is a bit different. I think for most of us, we're probably not facing the risk of persecution and interrogation in the same way. Although we know that there are Christians around the world who do face that threat every single day for the faith, faith that they profess. When we share our faith in our culture, for most of us, we're not at risk of being persecuted or killed. However, that doesn't mean that our faith isn't sometimes on trial to those around us, particularly when they ask us, why do you believe what you believe? We're on trial, aren't we, with people like, why do you believe this? Why should I accept it? And it's in these moments these opportunities to proclaim the kingdom that I want to explore for the remainder of this morning by just unpacking this verse and trying to apply it to our context today, trying to understand it in our situation. And I'd like to suggest that there are three principles we can draw out of this verse. Firstly, live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. Secondly, embrace opportunities to share your story. And finally, be prepared to give an answer. So let's just take a look at those one by one. First, live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. In the first part of the verse, Peter encourages the Christians to set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord. When we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives, it means that everything else must take a backseat. It means that we don't answer to anyone or anything else. He is Lord. He is my Lord. He will instruct me and he will lead me. Throughout this series, we've explained that the kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign is. So as kingdom carriers, God's rule and his reign should be central to our lives. He has rule and reign over my life. And there is great joy and there is great freedom in that, to just follow him where he leads me. 
As disciples of Jesus, the, the way that we, should, we live should therefore look different to the world around us. There have been times in our lives when, um, for Sophie and I, since we've been together, when the decisions we've made have provoked questions to our friends and family who don't know Jesus. Uh, it didn't make sense to people when Sophie, who after three years of studying a law degree and, and doing pretty well, that she decided not to pursue a, a career in law because the Lord had said to her, that's not what I have for you. Uh, or the fact that when we started dating and when we were together, we, decide, we chose not to have sex or not to live together uh, before we were married because we felt that that's what holiness looked like in the eyes of the Lord. Or just the fact that uh, we choose to tithe a percentage of our income to the church and give it to the church as our offering every month because we believe that's what God calls us to. These are just a few of the ways that we try and live differently um, from the people around us um, that don't know Jesus. And that's not to say that we get this right in every area of our lives. We are on a journey, and, and every day, every year, we, reflect, we, we are learning how to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. So we don't have this right in every area of our lives. It's, we're still a work in progress, but we know that kingdom living is different from worldly living, and it's got to look different. Katia Adams puts it this way, our lives shouldn't make sense. If the decisions you make about where you live, how you spend your money and your time, the people that you love, make, make perfect sense to the people who don't share our faith, then is it really that different? Stop making sense. Our lives shouldn't make sense because we live by faith. We do what the Lord tells us to do, and that it often looks different from the way that people would choose to live in the world. And this is just as much a challenge to me as it is to all of us. It's an ongoing journey of learning to let God rule and reign in our lives. But as we do, as we embrace living as kingdom carriers who are set apart uh, for Christ as our Lord, we will increasingly live in such a way that will cause the people around us to ask questions. And this leads me on to my second point. Embrace opportunities to share your story. You know, someone who knew how to take advantage of probably just about any moment to uh, talk about Jesus was the Apostle Paul. Man, I love reading about Paul in the New Testament. Paul is a man whose life was so radically changed as, as a result of meeting Jesus. And at one point in his life, he was under house arrest. He was a prisoner in his own home. And for two years, he wasn't allowed to leave. There would have been guards watching over him 24 hours a day. And Paul would have been chained to a guard at all times. And the guards would have been on like a rotation of who had to be chained to, chained to Paul. And it says in Acts verses 30 to 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about this is that if you're one of those guards and you're chained to Paul, you can't go anywhere. You've just got to stay and listen as he shares his story and shares the gospel. This man who's passionate about Jesus. Your job is to make sure that he doesn't go anywhere, which means that you're not allowed to go anywhere either. It makes me wonder, I wonder how many people came to know Jesus and gave their lives to follow him as a result of hearing Paul share his testimony and sharing the gospel with them. Most people would have seen imprisonment as a hindrance to their ministry and their life of following Jesus, but not Paul. 
Paul used it as an opportunity to share the gospel. He, lis- he embraced every opportunity to share his story with anyone who was willing to listen. And if somebody spent a week with you, or a day with you, or even just an hour with you, would they get to hear the good news? Would they get to hear your story? That's a challenge, isn't it? One of these moments uh, occurs for me every time I go and get my hair cut. And for the eagle-eyed among you, you'll notice I've got a fresh trim this week. So I went to see if I could get a story for this week. <laughs> it also, if you'd seen it last week, I was looking shabby, so it needed a cut. It needed a cut. Um, and when I go and get my hair cut and I'm sat in that barber's seat, I sit in there and I'm like, I'm like pulled right now. I'm in this seat and I can't go anywhere. But the dude cutting my hair, he's like the prison guard. He can't go anywhere either. He's getting paid to cut my hair. So until he's done, I can say what I like. (laughs) He's got to finish the job. So I like to set myself this little challenge. Can I get into a conversation within the time that it takes for him to cut my hair where I can either share some of my story or tell this person about Jesus, tell him about the hope that I have? And, you know, sometimes I end up having some really great conversations and and there's questions and it's going somewhere. And other times, nothing. It's like trying to get a conversation out of a rock. The guy's clearly just so focused on making my hair look good that he doesn't want to talk. And I'm grateful for that if that's what it takes. (laughs) So it's not always going to go the way that we want it. And you know what? This week I would say that um, the conversation didn't go as far as I'd have liked it to. But we did have a good conversation. Somehow we got onto the subject of talking about the environment and, and the problems with global warming and, and you know, this idea that, or, or the fact that we as humanity need to change the way that we're living. And he was just like, I just, I just think we're past the point of being able to do anything about it. I don't think there's any hope for this world. You know, this was a great little lead in for me. I was like, okay, well, let me tell you. And it just gave me this opportunity to just say, I'll just be honest with you, like, I believe that we live in a world that God created, and the Bible tells us that that uh, that God, when God made the world, He made it good. And when we look around and when we see the world not as it should be, that that is a, an illustration that is that shows us that it is not the way that God intended it to be. I was like, "What do you think about that?" And he was like, well, "I don't really know." <laughs> I was like, "Great," and I was like, "Well." This might sound a bit weird, but my conviction, what the Bible says is that God came to earth through his son Jesus so that he could put things right, so that he could put things right and make things new. And that applies to the planet and the environment, but it also applies to you and me. So it went went okay. That was kind of like where we got to, and he kind of just carried on cutting my hair. I was like, anything? No? Okay. But... That was an opportunity to share some of my story, share the hope that I have. And I don't know whether that's going to, that might have been playing on his mind or he might have got the next guy come along and that guy just wanted to talk to him about football. And he was probably like, phew, let me tell you about the last guy I was talking to, (laughs) never cutting his hair again. Um, You know, this is something that I've challenged myself to grow in because it doesn't come naturally to me at all. And it's not just in the barbers, it's uh, when I go to the supermarket or when I'm with our neighbors or if I go to the gym or wherever, whenever, wherever an opportunity arises, I want to try and take it. And I know that often I let it pass by. 
sometimes these opportunities just present themselves to us. Someone we know who we uh, have like a good friendship with will have seen our lives and they ask a question. Can I just ask you like, why do you live this way? There's an opportunity for us to give a kind of like watered down answer or to give the real answer. And sometimes uh, we see an opportunity and we have to take the opportunity. Uh, we see an opportunity and we have to take the initiative. Sometimes they're not going to ask us the question. We just have to see if there's an opportunity to share. Paul embraced every opportunity because he knew the difference that Jesus had made in his life. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. I love that verse. That's a life verse right there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul knew the truth about Jesus. He, Paul knew that the truth about Jesus had changed his life, but he also knew that, that, that Jesus had the power to change other people's lives as well. It wasn't just for him. We have to be willing to embrace opportunities to share our story in order for other people's lives to be changed by the gospel. You see, sharing stories of lives changed by Jesus has the power to change lives. I'll say that again. Sharing stories of lives changed by Jesus has the power to change lives. So what happens when the opportunity next arises for you? Maybe it's the next time you're having your hair cut or the next time you're at the school gate talking to a parent and you've just got a bit of time waiting for the kids to come out of class. Or maybe it's that person that you always seem to find yourself sat with in the, in the, um, at work in, over lunch. The person that you're always sat with, is that an opportunity to, to have a conversation with them? What then? What are you going to do when that opportunity arises? This brings me to my final point. Be prepared to give an answer. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. As well as being willing to give an answer, I believe we must be ready to give an answer. You know, in a lot of things in life, preparation is key, isn't it? Uh, I learned this the hard way in 2012 when I took part in the London Marathon. Uh, I'd always wanted to run it. My mum my had run the London Marathon when I was little, and I was like, I would love to run, run the London Marathon one day. So I applied, I applied through the ballot for a number of years and didn't get a place. And then one year, I got that letter through the door that was like, you've got a place, congratulations. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I actually have to do this. Uh, but there was, I, was, I was excited as well. I was really excited. Now, I was in my mid-20s then. So my fitness and my physique was a lot more forgiving to, to running that sort of distance. I definitely could not do that now. But I did not do anywhere near the amount of training that I should have done to run that marathon. Uh, I'll confess, when I lined up on that starting line to begin that race, I had only, the m furthest I had ever run was 13 miles. And I was about to run 26, double the length. What was I thinking? <laughs> what an idiot. Do you say such a wally? <laughs> such a wally. Uh, Okay, I made it to 16 miles, 16 miles in pretty good time. I was running at the pace I was aiming for, but my body hit the wall just like that. I had never put my body under that kind of pressure before. My legs just turned to jelly, and I was, I was struggling to stand up. Yeah. I just hadn't prepared properly for that race. 
And it was a struggle to make it to the finishing line. I was looking to the side. There's people like, as you're running with massage booths and things set up for people whose legs are just cramping up. And you could see people who had stopped and you're like, I don't know how you're going to get back into this race. I just don't know how your body is going to recover. So I've got to keep going. At times I thought I was going to give up, but thankfully I made it with a combination of walking and running and walking. Uh, I made it. To, I stumbled over the finishing line. And it was, a gr- it was one of, you know, it was probably one of my greatest achievements finishing that race. Really enjoyed it. Even though it was so difficult, really enjoyed it. I look back on it, I'm like, oh, that was an amazing experience. But, it, when it, but the reality is that that race could have been far easier for me if I'd just prepared better, if I'd just done the preparation. And when it comes to giving an answer for why you have a hope in Jesus, it actually helps to prepare It seems obvious, but it's true. Sometimes we avoid sharing our faith because we're worried about what people might think of us. Or we're afraid that what we say just might not make sense to them. Or that we don't really know what we're trying to communicate. There's a danger that we fall into the trap of thinking that we need to be able to give a a perfect summary of the gospel in order for someone to want to engage in conversation with us. But the truth is that we don't have to be able to give all the right answers. That's just the truth. You just need to be able to offer people the reason for the hope that you have. And make sure that in the process of doing that, you point them towards Jesus. When someone asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, you don't have to share with them what you don't have or what you don't know. You just have to share with them what you do know. Apparently, what you know about Jesus was enough for you to say yes and choose to follow him. And I'm willing to bet that it's probably enough for somebody else too. If somebody asked you, why is your hope in Jesus? Do you know how you would answer that question? Do you know? And if you don't, that's not a problem. But here's a suggestion. I'd just love to encourage you to spend some time this week thinking about that. Why is my hope in Jesus? Why did I start following Jesus? Why am I still following him? I, I, uh, I found a few years ago, I'd been walking with Jesus. I'd been a Christian for a few years, and I just got to the point where I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I don't know. Wh- I'd forgotten what, how I'd got to where I'd got to. And it just, it just really helped me to sit down and work it out and write it down. So I'd encourage you to do that. Because the thing is, nobody can answer that question for you. You have to be able to answer that question for yourself. Why you have a hope in Jesus. My journey began, uh, my journey of faith began when a friend told me about her hope in Jesus. She simply told me about the God that she prayed to who answered her prayers. The God who made the world and everything in it. The God who loved her and cared for her and knew everything about her. The God who died for her on a cross because he wanted her to know him. And then after telling me that, She said to me, and you know what, Ian? When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just do it for me. He did it for you as well, so that you would have the chance to know him too. And you know what? She might not have realized the power of that conversation, realized the implications that was going to have in my life. I was 18 years old when I had that conversation. I'm 32 now. The last 14 years have been completely changed by that one conversation because As she shared her hope with me, it offered me hope. For the first time in my life, I began to question, one, whether there was a God, uh, whether there even was a God. And and I started to question, like, if there is a God, is he actually 
does he actually want to know me? Does he know me? Is he a good God? It just changed my life. Started to ask the question, is there more to life than what I really know at the moment? So when we share the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus with the people around us, we extend an invitation for them to embrace that hope for ourselves. As followers of Jesus, as kingdom carriers, we should be the most hopeful people around, shouldn't we? We should be the most hope-filled people around. People don't need us to be able to give them the perfect answer. That's not what they need. And they don't need uh, to see a life that has it all together with no struggles. What people really need to see is that we have many of the same problems, many of the same troubles and challenges in life, but we respond differently because our hope is in Jesus. Uh, You know what, during this series, we have quoted Alan Scott probably a record number of times from his book, Scatter Servants, and I'm just going to add one more to the list because I think this is worth sharing with you guys. He says this, Our communities are drawn to brokenness more than excellence. We try to impress them with our brilliance, but our brokenness and imperfection are our greatest gifts. Focus on sharing your life before you source it. You don't need to have it all together before you give it all away. Indeed, you won't find the life that you're looking for until you start to share the life that you have. People around us need our brokenness as much as our wholeness. People in your industry, family, and community have become so scarred by life that they are desperate to know if it's even possible to recover. If you have a neat, sanitized life, they're never going to ask you to explain where your hope comes from. They'll, They'll never ask you how you deal with stress, unforgiveness, and debt. However, if you vulnerably open up your pain and with integrity open up your past, they will see that there is hope. They will start asking, how did you recover? How are you recovering? What is the source of your hope? As Peter told us, you need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So invite people into your life with Jesus. Help them to see the hope that you have. We are kingdom carriers, and we have a kingdom message. So live in such a way that causes people to ask questions. Embrace opportunities to share your story, and be prepared to give an answer. Because as we share our stories and give the reason for the hope that we have, the power of the gospel to bring salvation is unleashed as we proclaim to those around us that the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're able to, why don't you stand?